Welcome to Dig It. This is Edge. I'm here with, today with our friend speaker we haven't heard from in a while. So glad to have you back. It's good to be back. I like doing these on and off. And it's good to talk to you all again when I have the time. It's It sucks, though, because I can never get on when Corey's on because I'm always, like, filling in how we're at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We need to have the three of us on sometime really soon. I know. Because- yeah, the listeners love hearing from you um, every uh-huh. once in a while and getting updates on how you're doing. So, yeah, Corey's going to be out this week. Uh, hopefully, she'll be back next week. So, um, what you been up to, speaker? Working, working away. That's what I've been up to. I'm trying to start a few little things and trying to get some side hustles going. It's just, yeah, running the family business. It's not as much fun as I was having before when I was doing this every week, but you (laughs) know, we have to, we have to do what we have to do to survive, you know, especially in this economy, everybody's got to have a side hustle. Yeah. It's, it's very tight at the moment for a lot of people. I think, I mean, I'm kind of lucky that I'm I'm part of a family business. So, you know, it, it continues to run as long as we keep working it, you know, so. Nice. Well, Good to hear from you and get that update. So we have a lot to talk about this week. Um, the latest article on Corey's Diggs, which I actually wrote on artificial wombs. I know that you found that kind of interesting. Yeah, um, very much so. Yeah, so there's a lot of uh, research being conducted in artificial wombs simultaneously as the fertility and birth rates are declining. So it's really... The timing is is very ominous, and uh, so we can talk about that. Plus, we've got a lot of other things to talk about, including Fauci, the NIH, the government funding more gain-of-function or bioweapons, really, research here in the United States, as well as this move by the CDC. They're wanting to add COVID shots to the childhood vaccine schedule. And that has a lot of implications as far as immunity for big pharma, as well as these mandates that could go out um, by the schools uh, based off of the CDC's recommendations. And then- Totally protecting themselves there. There they, yep, exactly. And then we just had heard this new information. Of course, a a lot of things have been going on in the UK and leading up to this, but Truss has officially announced her resignation. And so there's a lot of scrambling to find out what's going on over there uh, with regards to when there will be a replacement, which I think we'll actually see something happen by the end of October, as well as who's going to replace her. And so we can talk about that, have a little chat about that. So lots to get into. There's a big shift going on in the UK, isn't it? With the death of the Queen, all this jumbling on, the electricity, the power. I mean, England, that citizens over there must be copping it hard at the moment. Must be dealing. Yeah, a lot of things happening very, very quickly over in the UK. So definitely something that we need to keep our eyes on because I do think that these types of major shifts have worldwide implications, not just implications, obviously, for UK citizens. 100%. All right, so let's get into it. So I just published this article on Corey's digs called Artificial Womb Research Rapidly Advances as Birth Rates and Fertility Dramatically Decline. And um, 
it's pretty stunning when you look at all of the statistics, not just since COVID and the COVID shots, but even before that, we were seeing dramatic declines in birth rates and fertility and population growth before that in America. I, I, I think you've been seeing it uh, in the UK over the last 10, 20 years. It's been dropping rapidly. Yeah, and people have speculated, and Corey's actually written some excellent articles on this whole thing um, about what what kind of effects all vaccines have had, what kind of effects the um, to the food supply with GMOs um, and pesticides and all of these things put into our environment and our food supply and our vaccines, um, how much of that has that affected the fertility rates and birth rates? And then also the societal impacts, like, you mm. know, this, you know, uh, the cultural impact, the cultural, well. right, exactly, exactly, with things changing on that front as well. It just seems like it's uh, birth rates and fertility are getting hit from all fronts. But since the COVID jab rollout, we've also gotten a lot of new information about, you know, fetal and baby mortality, uh, male fertility, um, all kinds of effects adverse events that that add to that and so you have to speculate is this all you know a part of the agenda of course i think so um you know and and you just have to look at say bill gates in the past comments about how we just need to get the global population down i mean it's not really like they hide it yeah this is like a like a very well packaged eugenics scheme uh-huh. You know, it, it, that's what it looks like to me, especially seeing all these Western countries in there, Germany, UK, Switzerland, you know, Sweden, Hungary. Very surprised with China, actually, um, considering they have the, the, the one-child policy. Well, they had yeah. the one-child policy, and then didn't they, didn't they relax that because uh, they started seeing this huge, you know, decline in population growth. And so what you have is this elderly population not being able to be supported by the working younger population. And so that could be a huge, huge problem for them for the foreseeable future. And so um, they've actually started to incentivize or try to incentivize their population to have more kids, but the population isn't. Um, really catching up and a lot of that does I think have to do with the society the the social um, implications you know but also um, just this whole global issue of fertility and and birth rates but uh, moving on so that was kind of the preface to this article but simultaneously we were seeing these advancements happening very, very rapidly in artificial womb research, as well as human embryo research. And the way that I want to kind of um, look at it is two things. Um, first of all, artificial womb research, it's not a new concept. I mean, this has been tried for decades, and it was really with little success. But the recent research has been much more successful. And we could talk about, you know, the hundreds of sci-fi books and movies about this kind uh, of... I'm glad you mentioned Brave New World. Okay. Hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, it's like predictive programming, but it's starting to become a reality uh, very rapidly. And I want to break this down into two separate approaches because one seems sort of less, more benign than the other is, I guess, the way I should put it. Because one approach is research into creating a sort of life support system for extremely premature babies. And that seems like a good thing, right? Yeah. Uh, because a lot of extremely premature babies could be saved through this kind of technology. The other way of looking at this, and the other approach to this kind of research, is a system designed to grow human embryos at the earliest stages and then continue that research and and go from there and that seems to be the more sinister approach because it's it's really pushing the number one it's really pushing the envelope on human embryo research right now and number two um all of the ethical implications that go along with this right hmm. like this all really started when you know the age of ivf came mm-hmm. out that was like a prerequisite yeah. for where you're going with now you know we can inject your eggs we can fertilize them now you know you don't even need to be there right it's a good selling point do you know what yeah. i mean like we can we, we, we can grow this baby for you you don't need to go through the labor exactly you need to go through the pain mm-hmm. right it, it, it's it's a great selling point and in a lot of ways i i do feel like there is uh a benefits to this research it's just the fact that don't trust the people researching it exactly and the people that would be behind it funding it and then marketing it and pushing it for their agenda right so Mm -hmm. because because it won't go down a morality morality path it will go down a financial path i mean uh, now i'm I'm talking real sci-fi here but you you're talking about growing people you know when, when, when does cloning actually start factoring into this as well exactly when can you start producing armies 100 percent, especially in secretive nations like china right um so i kind of go through a timeline here of the more recent research starting with 2017 the children children's hospital of philadelphia known as chop they made some real breakthroughs on uh using artificial uteruses to um, take care of and develop extremely premature lambs. And the reason why they used lambs is because of the, I guess, the similarities to their uh, gestational stages. Um, But this is for the purpose, obviously, of creating a sort of artificial womb for extremely premature babies. And they're working on that. Their plan uh, back in 2017 was to start using this sort of device within three to five years. So uh, that would be by now um, on premature human babies. And they had a lot of success with it, um, taking lambs at the gestational stage equivalent to human babies at like the 23, 24 week mark and really developing these these lambs to the point where they had you know fully fully developed organs and brains and fur and just like all of the characteristics of a baby baby lamb uh so it was actually a really successful study uh the thing with chop though is that you know i do have to question 
their motives. I have to question their ethics because this is the same kind of hospital who was just recently exposed for um, allegedly providing puberty blockers to kids as young as eight years old and sex reassignment surgeries to children around the age of 14. So you really have to question where the motivations are, what the ethics are of a hospital who's conducting, you know, that kind of research and, you know, simultaneously trying to really essentially sterilize children. Yeah. You know what this reminds me of, and I don't know if a lot of people might not have seen the movie, but it but it reminds me of The Sixth Day, uh, a movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, where they do clone people in this sort of a way. It's very similar. And just like looking at that lamp picture, it just reminds me of that scene where all the bodies are in these cases. And, you know, there's been a few movies that have done similar things like that, but it just, yeah, really reminds me of that sci-fi movie. And that was made like 22 years ago. So, Yeah, you have to wonder how much of this is predictive programming because there have been just movies and, and books, sci-fi movies and books made over the decades that really predicted this. And we're starting to see it play out in real time. Uh, so, yeah, it's curious <laughs> how accurate some of these sci-fi stories can be. But what I and the whole reason why I actually wrote this article is because I was just following up on a, a recent podcast that uh, geneticist George Church was on because I just uh, actually Corey uh, recommended that I listen to it. We like to follow what George Church is up to. He's really kind of at the forefront of genetic research. And when you're listening to him, you're hearing what they have planned you know, down the road. And so I just wanted to see what he was up to. Of course, he loves to talk about his de-extinction project. I think that's really his pet project of all the things that he's up to. And, and, and like, I, I think de-extinction, sorry to cut you off, but I, but I think de-extinction is something that grabs a lot of people. Exactly. Like, it's it, it sells. It gets the very public on board. Yes, you it know? gets the public on board. They're like, oh, cool, Jurassic Park, mm. right? So, like, yeah, like like in our case, like, and I, this is when I first started to hear about this sort of stuff is with the thylacine, so the Tasmanian tiger, mm -hmm. who they've been trying to clone for ages. So that, that's been one of their number one animals yep. on the yep. de-extinction program because there is certain animals that, you know, uh, we, you, you can use Um certain animals in Australia that could ma maybe match similar anyway. Right. Um, and that, yeah, that, that's when I first started to hear about it. So I'm, I'm very romanticized with de-extinction. I think it's a great thing. So. Yeah. I, I get where you're coming from. I see how this sells to the public and gets a lot of attention. This mm. idea of bringing back extinct animals, including the woolly mammoth, which is kind of the main feature of this project by geneticist George Church. It's funded by mostly um, Ben Lamb, who is this technology entrepreneur. They collaborated, created Colossal Biosciences um, last year. They've got about 75 million in funding. A lot of like even Hollywood people and like Paris Hilton have funded this. Mm, so it's gotten a lot of backing and a lot of attention. But when you listen to like their reason for bringing the woolly mammoth back, I'm not buying it. It's so ridiculous. They're talking about bringing the woolly mammoth back 
and populating the Arctic in order to prevent climate change by the woolly mammoths stomping on the ice and knocking down trees. Like this is their solution to climate change. It seems so far-fetched and ridiculous. You have to really ask why. What is the real reason why they're doing this? And I think they have kind of revealed themselves in these interviews. Um, George Church has talked about it as well as Ben Lamb. They talk about how these technologies that they're developing through the de-extinction project have human applications. And there's multi-billions to be made in the genetic research they do and the artificial womb tech that they develop. Because they have to, sorry, sorry, I should preface it by saying they're they're leaning towards using artificial wombs. So here's here's the de-extinction project sort of in a nutshell. It's using CRISPR technology to uh, create a hybrid of, with the woolly woolly mammoth, for example, they're taking um, an extinct woolly mammoth's DNA and using CRISPR technology, merging that with Asian elephants, and then they're leaning towards using artificial wombs uh, rather than surrogates for um, the uh, the development of the embryo. And this, because it's a 22 month um, gestational period, and it's really hard for them to find the right surrogates and yeah. the, the number of surrogates that they're going to need to have a significant number of woolly mammoths and so on. So, so surrogates are like their main hurdle, especially with the thylacine. You know, there is some surrogates that can uh, maybe produce it, but they've had no success. So an artificial womb, boom. There you, know, you go. There you go. That solves that problem. That solves that step. But um, yeah, what I was going to say before, that is how you get big funding. It, it it does sound absurd to me, but how you get big funding is slap climate change on it. Yeah. Any project, just slap climate change on it. Exactly. You get exactly. Right. I mean, there, there have been all kinds of um, talks about the, the ethics of bringing extinct animals back. And, you know, I won't go into all of that. I, I just, I what's think the, what, that there's what's definitely. What's your opinion on it, though? I'm interested in like in your ethics behind it. I don't like it. I don't like it. I feel like like it's playing God. I don't know. I don't like creating genetically modified new uh, species. And I I, I don't know what the impacts would be on that. And I just don't think there's a lot of regulation. It's so, it's so new and there's so much kind of this, like you said, this fantasizing about it. There's not a lot of people stopping to say, hey, wait a minute, what could be the adverse events? I mean, like we've all seen Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah. But you See, have to consider the ethics. You have to consider the downside do. of doing things like this. And I don't see a lot of that happening. Yeah. So, so like with the I'm I'm kind of on the fence. Like I am with a lot of things. <laughs> I kind of toe the middle here with mammoths and stuff. I don't get it. I mean, like these things went extinct very naturally you know through years of you know the youngest dryer period and you know they're just just the change in our planet the change in our world um and they they just went extinct naturally i think 
where it becomes more a thing that attaches to me is when humans have played a huge part in it. So such as the thylacine, such as the Tasmanian tiger, which was completely a human issue. I mean, we wiped out these creatures. Um, so that is for me where I'm like, mm, do you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> yeah. But my bigger issue is that I believe that this whole reason for doing it is bullshit and that the real reason is I agree with that. is to develop this technology to get the funding and the public behind this kind of technology first and and develop it so that it could have human applications and that is where i'm very concerned yeah so you think it's, it's just predominantly a smoke screen yeah yeah, a smokescreen, a way to raise funding, a way to get public on board and public awareness and everybody sort of cheering for this kind of research mm -hmm. when, in fact, it's actually going to be used against us. And um, so that's my take on it. But just from moving on, um, you know, in 2019, the Eindhoven University of Technology was given 2.9 million euro grant by the Horizon 2020 EU program to develop an artificial womb prototype. And this is, again, sort of a life support system for extremely premature babies. They've been working on it for years. Uh, they expect to have a working prototype by 2024. And the plan is to have this model, this artificial womb, in hospitals by 2030. And I just, you know, when I hear that number 2030 over mm. and over and over again, it sends up red flags, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, look at that picture of those artificial wounds. That reminds you of something from Alien, right? Yeah. Can you imagine that not on a stage and in a lab setting? It's freaky. Right. Right. Exactly. That's why I use this picture. I'm like stunned that this is actually the um not working prototype but just sort of like the 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 model of what they expect their prototype to look like and it's really freaking creepy, creepy. I, yeah but at least with this study they're using mannequin babies and using simulation technology they're not working with you know actual babies or anything like that and they're not even working with animals uh, because they need it to be specific to human babies but so there there seems to be some ethics behind it and an attempt to make this technology you know safe and at least do some adequate testing before they reach human clinical trials but in one of the interviews and this is interesting the way that it was said because this is going to come back to bite them um, one of the partners, which is Juno, Juno Perinatal Healthcare, um, the one of the co-founders, she was doing an interview on this, and she was like, "We're not going to be doing anything illegal or unethical." Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like I'm saying, "No, I'm not dealing drugs. I'm not a drug dealer. I swear." Right. <laughs> when somebody says that, don't you automatically think that they are going to be yeah. doing something illegal? Of course. I mean, yeah, the terrible way to structure and start a statement. <laughs> <laughs> then you have to wonder and so yeah i'm keeping my eye on this project uh looks like by 2024 we should have some some real hard information on how far along they are on this um which is just right around the corner really um we're talking about 
research, scientific research, but. And time spinning up, it's going faster these days. It really is. <laughs> so in March 2021, an Israeli uh, a team of Israeli scientists, they did announced a breakthrough in artificial womb technology. And this is on the other end, not providing life support for extremely premature babies. This is working with embryos. Okay. And they were using mice embryos. But uh, they really, really want to start working with human embryos. So uh, they were very successful in using mice embryos in this uh, artificial womb system that they've created. They were able to develop these embryos from, uh, you know, from embryos to fetuses with fully formed organs. And so um, the lead scientist on this project he talks a lot about how this could be applicable towards humans and this was in again march of 2021 prior to changes with the uh, international guidelines on human embryo research research and what he said was once the guidelines are updated I know the, the Israeli ethics board would sign off on further research of this artificial womb technology using human em embryos. And I really want to start researching human embryos growing in week three, week four, week five, and so on. The, the long-held uh, standard has been human embryo research no more than 14 days, and then it has to be destroyed. And uh, so the, this technology is really pushing the envelope on the standards of human embryo research. And morality. And morality, yeah. And um, so speaking of that, it was just a few months later that the ISSCR, this is like a governing body that creates these sort of human embryo research guidelines. They made this huge change to their guidelines and relaxed the long-held 14-day rule where, you know, you can do research on human embryos up to 14 days and then that has to be destroyed. And this is a guideline that lasted for over 40 years. And a lot of countries have based these guidelines on, on making their own laws that reflect these guidelines. So by the ISSAR changing their guidelines and relaxing this 14-day rule, it's going to have a ripple effect on future laws uh, and science because that's really kind of the baseline that everybody's been basing it on, and now that's changed. And it's really going to enable more human embryo research beyond the 14-day mark, which I don't hear a lot of people talking about the ethics of this. This is That's huge. It. it is massive. <laughs> yeah, the ethics behind, once it starts getting further and further along, the longer the time it is, the more you're like, the more barbaric it becomes, right? Right. And when you start talking about chimeras and different, there's so many different ab aspects of this um, where it's really the Wild West. Mm. Uh, and it's developing so fast, the capabilities, um, that the ethics and the laws just aren't catching up. And so a lot of this stuff may be going under the radar. But um, 
in China, just a few months months after the ISSCR updated their guidelines, China announced that they had developed this AI robot coupled with a uh, with a, an artificial womb system that where the AI robot is capable of monitoring the human embryos as they develop inside the the artificial wombs. And this is actually proven to be a much more efficient um, system than scientists monitoring the development right. of the embryos. I mean, and, this goes into like designer baby territory. Yep. So des- des- designer people. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So this AI robot can it, it can monitor everything from, you know, the environment to the carbon dioxide levels, the nutrients, and it can make adjustments immediately if it sees any sort of um, issues. But not only that, it can monitor these embryos' development in such a way where it can predict which embryos are more likely to be successful, which embryos have major deficiencies, and even alert the scientists on the embryos that need to be discarded because they don't have, they have major deficiencies. And now can you see where this is going with regards to eugenics? I mean, it's not good. It's it's really a slippery slope. Once you can start d- determining at the very earliest stages what human embryos would need to be discarded. And then it's just up to ethics and laws. And so, and with this sort of technology that they have, you know, they've really sort of worked out the tech. It's more of the legal and ethical hurdles that they have to go through now. And so the scientists of this study are saying, look, we really want to do more research on the later stages of human embryo development. That's essential. But, you know, we have these hurdles with legal and ethical, uh, you know, hurdles that we have to go through. But, you know, just a few months prior, the ISSCR has helped pave the way for extending human embryo research beyond 14 days. And it'll be interesting to see what China does because China's extremely motivated right now as their birth rates have fallen for a fifth year in a row to new record lows. Yeah, that would scare the Chinese. Yeah. So a lot of advancements happening in this tech, but um, the laws and the ethics are really far behind. And I kind of go through in this article what I've envisioned as far as the ethical implications. And there's both good, it's a mixed bag. It's on one hand could be good for saving extremely premature babies. But if you use this tech in the wrong hands, it could be used for eugenics. It could be used for population control. Yeah, uh, it, it could can, be used to replace populations. It could be used to completely redefine what it means to be a woman, what it means mm-hmm. to have a family. If this was marketed in a way where even biolog- biological women didn't have to have babies anymore. And so uh, I see some real dangers to this kind of tech as far as the impacts to, to our society. And I don't think many people are talking about this as the the technology is just you know, making light speed advancements. But I was really kind of shocked about the legal implications too, because, well, first of all, 
I'm sure you heard about Biden's transhumanist executive order that came out um, like probably less than a month ago. But it's a real initiative for the White House to start um, putting a focus on biotech and putting a lot of funding in it. Uh, removing a lot of obstacles, legal and ethical sort of obstacles uh, in the way to to rush these kinds of tools to market faster. And so we're seeing like from the federal level, this huge push to advance biotech. And a lot of that's going to have to do with human embryo research and possibly and probably artificial womb research and, and many, many other things. But on the state level, because actually there is no federal law here in the USA um, mandating a certain uh, standard for embryo and embryoid research. And so it's this sort of patchwork, this complicated patchwork among the states as far as what is or isn't allowed. And I was really um, kind of shocked to find out that there's, well, there's 29 states that have laws impacting human embryo research. 11 of those states have banned it, but most of the states either by directly by law or by absence of law have no, um, you know, restrictions on. Haven't, haven't even looked at it, have they? Yeah, because it's such, a, about it. it's such a hot topic. It's such a, you know, it, it's a, very triggering sort of topic they don't want to touch it but the the research is is moving quickly and the uh laws are failing to catch up and so if i was to give people a call to action it would be look up what your state laws are on human embryo research and embryoid research and um if your state is lacking which a lot of states are um, pressure your state legislatures to strengthen those laws uh, to protect against really unethical human embryo and embryoid research. Because, look, human embryoids um, or blastoids, sometimes I, I believe they're called, this is all kind of new tech. Um, I mean, really, advancements just happening, you know, within the last year or so. So, uh, really, not a lot of legislation on this kind of research, but they're like they're uh, talking about using blastoids and embryoids for a lot of this um, this kind of research, and they're using them as a way to sort of skirt um, the ethics or the legal uh, or the guy you know international guidelines on human embryo research. But embryoids and blastoids, it's like. Um, they're derived from stem cells rather than from the father's sperm and mother's egg. So it's a different way of creating something like a human embryo for researchers to investigate the early stages of development without actually using human embryos. But there's still a lot of ethics and ethical and legal implications with this. And so I think that we need to really start focusing more on what they're actually doing. Yeah, uh, this is something that could really go under the rug, you know, until it's actually all fully formed. 
Now, a lot of people wouldn't even be paying attention. Yeah. And um, this kind of research, it's really with using human blastoids or embryoids, it's really only been feasible since 2021. So, uh, you know, I think that lawmakers just really aren't, don't have this as top of mind awareness that they need to start strengthening laws to protect an ethical human embryoid and embryo research um, before you know, this kind of tech gets out of control. Yeah. So Whoa. Whoa, we'll get out of hand. It will, unless it's, unless the, 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 the tech is capable at this point, it's really the ex ethics and the laws that are holding it back. And if there's not, you know, updates to these kind of laws, it's just going to go really downhill really fast. So um, check that article out on coreysdigs.com for more information um, and all of the links uh, to these different types of research and as, as well as the state's um, you know, laws on human embryo and embryoid research. But yeah, Really good research, Edge. A really good article. Very interesting. Thanks. I uh, I appreciate that. I just uh, thought that it's something that needs to be talked about. I don't hear many people talking about it these days. So um, something that we need to keep our eyes on. But speaking of other things that we need to keep our eyes on, because <laughs> there's a lot going on. Um, so did you hear about this, about how we're now funding gain of function or in other words, bioweapons here in the U.S.? So, mm -hmm. and this was something that was a conspiracy how, uh, a couple years ago, right? Right. Yeah. So, the government, Fauci, NIH, NIAID—they're all funding EcoHealth and Boston University for this gain of function or bioweapons research. And, and this was the shit that gave us COVID, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> yep, yep. So, University of Boston announced that they had created this hybrid or chimeric COVID with an 80% kill rate and humanized mice. Okay. Why? <laughs> what is the purpose of creating a COVID strain with an 80% kill rate? Uh, because you can't cure it unless you, you know, make it and experiment with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's all for, it's all for the vaccines. Yeah, this is absolutely insane. This is happening on our own soil here in the U.S. I mean, it was insane that it was happening in Wuhan, and here we are yeah. with it happening here in the U.S., funded by the NIH and NIAID. They're not even hiding it. This is part of the research paper when they give their thanks out to all the people who funded them. National Institute of Health, NIAID grants supported this research. We have the the receipts right there it's 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 interesting too considering uh, the a accusations that was going on that these sort of labs were already existed uh in the ukraine but yep. i can't use those anymore right <laughs> right. right right so we're just gonna it's, do it in uh, boston sus. yeah yeah so and this just two months prior just two months prior eco health alliance announces that they're working with the Boston University, that they were awarded a million dollars to to help Boston University predict and prevent future pandemics. So this is EcoHealth Alliance. They got this grant 
not from the National Science Foundation. But basically, the government's giving EcoHealth Alliance a million dollars to continue their work because they did such a smashing job in Wuhan with the funding by the uh, government to do gain-of-function research in Wuhan. I mean, this is the same EcoHealth Alliance that was funded by Fauci's NIH, NIAID, to do that gain-of-function research in Wuhan. This is the same EcoHealth Alliance and Peter Daszak that were part of the cover-up. So Peter Daszak and a team of so-called scientists, they all signed this Lancet letter that was published in the Lancet, you know, one of these, uh, you know, prestigious medical journals. And this letter was just condemning the Wuhan lab leak theory to cover up their tracks. Okay, so we have the main suspects involved in creating the bioweapon in Wuhan, part of the cover-up of the Wuhan lab leak in this whole Peter Daszak Lancet letter and with, you know, all the, the Fauci emails that came out, remember what those, and all the cover-up invo- involved. Peter Daszak and EcoHealth are at the very center of this, the creation of the bioweapon and the cover-up. And so here we have a million dollars going to Peter Daszak. Is this a payoff? Like, great job. Thanks for, you know, creating the bioweapon that we needed to uh, have our coup in 2020 and to also do our great reset. So here's your million dollars. And oh, by the way, just to shove it in the public's face, we're going to say this is for creating, you know, some sort of preventing future pandemics and creating Mm. another bioweapon that's even more lethal, 80% kill rate. Insane. It's insane. It is insane. People need to be arrested. This is absolutely criminal. I don't understand how these people are still walking the streets. Yeah, too many payoffs. Too much money in too many people's pockets. Higher ups. Yeah. yeah it's it's insane. So you dropped this article um, in chat before we started recording. And... Yeah, now everyone's doing it. Right, right. <laughs> everyone's creating everyone's biolabs. Doing it. Like, you we... know. The headline says it all. Have we learned nothing? 40 new biochemical labs that handle dangerous viruses are being built around the world after the COVID pandemic. So this isn't even just talking about the biolabs that we already had, which were there were tons of them all over the world. But yeah, and you, that's you had... the ones that we know of. <laughs> right. These are not the COVID biolabs, which is there. You, you can be sure there's plenty. Yeah, yeah. And the the ones in Ukraine, um, you know, those had to get blown up because mm. we we didn't want the public to know mm. what we were up to up to in Ukraine. Uh, so let's just build forty new ones. So yeah, it, it's it's mass insanity. It's 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 insane how much one pandemic, which is in the in the history of our world, not even you know, a touch on the worst ones we've had um, has just opened the door for something even, even worse. Yeah. This is more than 40 facilities Mm. certified as biosafety level three, BSL threes and BSL fours. These are the types of labs that are capable of handling the most deadly pathogens um, and working on the most deadly pathogens. Yeah, it's disturbing. 
Yeah. Oh, great. There's some in Melbourne. Fantastic. <laughs> right. <laughs> it helps me out fantastically at times. Nice. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. So we have a bunch of criminals running the show right now and playing with really creepy tech and bioweapons. Just right. essentially trying to be gods. Yes. Yep. Yep. Speaking of trying to be gods. So the CDC is trying to play God with everybody's children. Earlier this week, it was announced that they were quietly pushing to add COVID shots to the childhood vaccine schedule. And they had made this announcement quietly, but it got a lot of attention because, of course, the public and parents particularly are concerned about how this is going to affect them and their kids. And also, um, as Robert Jr., uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. had pointed out in this video, it's he really clearly kind of explains it as to why they need to add these COVID jabs to the childhood vaccine program. If the EUA is dropped, then the COVID jabs are susceptible to to uh, liability to people suing them for injury. And so how do they skirt that liability by adding the COVID jabs to the childhood vaccine schedule? And by doing so, that sort of uh, liability protection continues for big pharma, even if it's an adult who gets the jab. So it's a way of protecting big pharma from getting sued for injuries. That, I think, is the key factor here as far as why they're adding them to the childhood vaccine mm, just, schedule and going for the kids. Li- it's just that liability protection, right? It's just, yeah, it's sickening. Disgusting. Yeah. But the second reason is that by codifying this, the medical industrial complex com- complex's stance on COVID jabs for kids, that's going to embolden certain states not all states but certain states certain uh, cities and towns certain school uh, boards and school uh, just certain just at the municipality level schools that you attend this is going to um, affect how they mandate COVID jabs for kids and so the CDC during these um, meetings They've been quick to say, look, we don't do the mandates. That's not up to us. Don't blame us. We only make recommendations. It's up to each school or each state. They make their own decisions. Just take it up with them, right? And then the schools get to say, well, don't blame us. We're just following what the CDC says. Take it up with them. Such a a good graphic. That's just so basic and so telling. It's a blame game. It's just blame shifting and a way for us to go in this sort of circular logic with zero accountability. Zero accountability for a big pharma, zero accountability for a big government, zero accountability for the medical industrial complex, for schools, zero accountability across the board, and our kids are at stake, right? Yeah, and kids are getting hurt. 
Yeah, so this is the um, the broadcast. I was hoping to have this up. Uh, this is the CDC's live broadcast of their meeting where they're conducting their vote. It's Thursday morning as we're recording. We release this on Friday. So they haven't voted yet. Um, I was kind of hoping to have that piece of information before we um, started recording, but I'm keeping an eye on it. And I think it's safe to say, though, because, you know, on Wednesday, they voted 15 to 0 to um, add the COVID jab to the VCF, uh, I think it's the VCF program and um, or VCP program. Yeah, I think that's what it is. And the VCP is like this childhood vaccine program that um, it provides vaccines to children at no cost who can't afford it. So that's the vote that took place on Wednesday, but Thursday is the vote uh, for adding it to the childhood vaccine schedule. And so um, if that 15 to nothing vote is any indicator, I'm pretty certain that this is going to go through and it's definitely going to have implications. So people need to be aware if I was going to do a call to action, be aware of what's going on in your state, what's going on in your town, what's going on in your um, school system and what kind of uh, mandates they've tried to enforce in the past. That'll give you some kind of indicator of what they're going to do once the CDC does this. And uh, make noise. Make noise at the state, city, and local level to protect these kids. Yeah, I mean, we've got, um, this was back in 2021, there were 14 states that were trying to get COVID shots mandated. I'm sure this needs to be updated, but, you know, you can look certain there there's certain school districts that have tried to mandate it based off of um uh like to for people to be able to participate in sports of course california's um gone that route with mandates um for kids going to school um but there's a lot of cities and states that have created mandates um for kids and i think that this is definitely definitely gonna have to be updated uh once the cdc rolls out you know their recommendations for the childhood vaccine program or childhood vaccine schedule anyways uh yeah definitely we need to make a noise about this because uh it's got major implications for big pharma liability and for kids, for our kids and their ability to go to school without it. All right. So last thing to talk about is this. So a lot of things going on in the UK. It has been crazy. Boris Johnson resigning, trust being installed, the queen uh, dying and Prince Charles becoming king, uh, a lot of resignations, uh, the pension plans becoming insolvent and having to be propped up by the Bank of England, the energy crisis and the ripple effect on all kinds of industry. It is a nightmare. And I don't think anybody's sad to see trust go. 
Um, I, did you see the, <laughs> I can't remember who did this, but they had this like running uh, live stream of a head of lettuce to see if the, the head of lettuce outlived Liz Truss's uh, term <laughs> as prime minister. <laughs> I did not say that, but it sounds funny. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> so the head of lettuce won. The head of, of lettuce outlived Liz Truss. She was only in the position for 44 days, I believe. Shortest living or shortest running prime minister in history. And I think, I, I don't know what your thoughts are on of this. Um, if this was all by design, if they put her in, if they installed her in to create this sort of chaos and have people call for. Uh, you know, somebody else, you know, a, a savior to come in and swoop in and save them. Mm. Uh, it's, it's all very interesting. It's all also very hard to tell. It, it does all seem off, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you look at the, the front runners, so um, from my, it, it's my understanding that they're trying to have a replacement for Liz Trust by October 28th. And there have been calls for a general election. That's not what happened with Liz Truss. It was just the Tories that nominated Liz Truss to the position. Um, so we'll see. But um, the front runners, it looks like, for uh, this is Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak. And uh, so it would be a, just r ridiculously absurd if Boris Johnson actually... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Reassumes the position. I mean, I could see that happening. It's just I really vanity. could too. It's weird, but I I could say it. Yeah, more of the same. If you got Boris Johnson, uh, Rishi Sunak's would would even be worse. Um, apparently, he's a favorite for replacing Liz Truss. But and I don't know how many people know about Sunak who are you know are outside of the UK. I'm sure people in the UK are very familiar with Sunak, but Sunak is a World Economic Forum stooge and it's a porny for the same one. Yeah. Like, look at him. It's just Communist <laughs> China backed World Economic <laughs> Forum acolyte Rishi Sunak to replace George Boris Johnson. Rishi Sunak did not replace Boris Johnson, but he actually may replace Liz Truss. We'll have to see. And Sunak was the prior, uh, the chancellor for the Treasury, who um, has very much pushed for CBDCs uh, for this whole installing this Chinese social credit system, CBDC slave system. And so the, the people of the UK, I understand that they want change from Liz Truss and the disastrous policies that have gotten them to the point where they're at. But they need to be very careful and aware of how dangerous the next person could be um, that is installed. All right. Digital currency. Backed by the banks. The central mm. banks, of course. Mm -hmm. Of course. Right. No privacy. Uh, absolute control over what you can buy, when you can buy it. I mean... And who can buy it? Especially when you're looking at an energy crisis simultaneously. 
A digital currency would enable the government to cut you off if you used too much energy. Mm -hmm. It's dangerous. It's dangerous, very much so. Mm -hmm. So we need to keep an eye on the UK because really Europe is, is the first domino. Okay. It's really getting I think... shaped. I think Europe and Japan are the weakest links in this global financial debt crisis that we're in. Hmm. And we need to watch closely what's happening in Europe in particular. And uh, because it, it, I believe, will be a domino effect. And I, I absolutely believe this is all by design to usher us into this great financial reset, which is what it was originally all about. Yeah. That's it. All right. Where to finish off? Anything else you want to discuss? No, it just yeah, it just feels good to be back. It feels good to be chatting. Yeah. Miss Corey, though, I'd like to catch up with her soon too. Hopefully, I can make more time. So. Yeah, it's good to hear from you. I'm sure our listeners love hearing from you because they don't get to very often. So glad you're doing well. I know you've been working hard, but it's so great that you can take some time out every once in a while to come hang out, especially when Corey's not around and I don't want to fly solo. So I appreciate mm. it. You guys are not on YouTube anymore. I see that crossed out. No, we got kicked off. You got kicked off. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. So, guys, please be sure to share this podcast. We're on BitChute, Foxhole, Gab TV, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Pilled, Rumble, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. No longer on YouTube. So, please be sure to subscribe to our other platforms so you don't miss any podcasts. And we'll see you back next time right here on Dig It.